Good morning, church. Our today's reading uh, is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is chapter 12, verse 1 to 14. It reads, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the granders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and dangers in the street, when the hum trees blossom and the grasshoppers drags himself along and desires no longer is steered. The man goes to his internal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver corn is served or the golden bowl is broken, before the peter is shattered at the spring or the well broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pounded and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher sighed to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like gones. They are collected sing, sayings like family embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much studied where is the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of God.
Thank you, Jock. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Bernard Levin was one of the most uh, respected journalists of the 20th century. Um, he for many years wrote for the London Times, but he was famous around the world. And he had a very keen interest in spiritual things uh, without ever actually committing himself to one particular faith. And uh, towards the end of his life, he wrote these words, quote, To put it bluntly, have I time to discover why I was born before I die. I haven't managed to answer that question yet, and however many years I still have before me, there's certainly not as many as those that are behind. There's an obvious danger in leaving it too late. Why do I have to know why I was born? Because, of course, I'm unable to believe it was an accident. And if it wasn't an accident, it must have a meaning. End quote. Well, Bernard Levin died 14 years ago, and as far as I know, he never found an answer to that question. Last Sunday morning, we saw that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by someone called the Teacher. Uh, he was Israel's king, most likely King Solomon himself. And as Israel's teacher, he has a message for the people of God, or as we would say, people who are in church every Sunday. And he's got one particular group of people in mind that he considers to be spiritually at risk. These are successful people. Uh, people who are gifted, who perhaps have a relatively secure job, and therefore a degree of choice over how they're going to spend the rest of their lives. And uh, for the benefit of people like that, in Ecclesiastes, he's recorded the results of an experiment. And uh, in his experiment, what he's done is he's carefully examined the, the different ways that people like that might be tempted to look for meaning and fulfillment in life. So he started out in his book by considering enlightenment, uh, which could be perhaps getting another degree, uh, or writing a book, uh, or maybe learning a new language. Or it might be the particular knowledge needed to excel in a particular profession. Could that perhaps be the path to a truly satisfying life. Then he moved on from enlightenment to consider enrichment. Uh, is there meaning to be found in being so wealthy that we can actually buy anything we want? Uh, many people today do think like that. 
So does wealth make life worth living? And then in his book, he considers enjoyment. Now, we need to be careful here because there are places in the book where the teacher commends the enjoyment of life as a precious gift of God. But in his experiment, he's been looking at the pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment apart from God, if you sort of leave God out of the picture. And he's been asking the question, if we focus all our energies on gratifying our physical appetites, are we going to find happiness that way? And uh, in each case, throughout the book, his conclusion has been that by themselves, these things are meaningless. But from the middle of the book onwards, the teacher suddenly changes direction. And he says there actually is a way to find satisfying meaning in life. And the way to find it is by living according to the wisdom that we find in God's word. He says, if we commit ourselves to that, we will experience a life that is truly satisfying and full of meaning. So the teacher's got our attention. But now, in this final chapter of the book, he says that living that way, living according to the wisdom of God that we find in the Bible, requires three responses from us. And the first response is this. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. And we're looking here at verses 1 to 8. Now, you may not have noticed it at the time, but actually these verses are one of the most beautiful poems in all of literature about old age and death. Two things are immediately obvious. The first is that the teacher is actually speaking to someone in the prime of life, for whom the experience of old age and death is still a long way off. So, you young adults, he's talking to you. Just look down at verse 1 in your Bible. Verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now, I think that's a rather brave tactic, uh, because every grandparent knows, or at least ought to know, that the quickest way to get the grandchildren to switch off is to start talking about what it's like when you get old. Because actually they're not in the slight, slightest bit interested. So we might think that the teacher would actually have a much more receptive audience in a frail care home. But he won't be put off because he's got something to say about old age that he believes every young person needs to take to heart. And I guess that's most of you this morning. Uh, the second thing we notice is that his message is painfully realistic. Uh, elsewhere we find that the Old Testament has a rather romantic view of old age and death. 
Uh, it describes grey hair as a crown of splendour. There are one or two of those here this morning. And it insists that old age is a blessing given to those who lived a righteous life. So to give you just one example, uh, Moses died at the age of 120. And uh, the book of Deuteronomy says that even then... His eyes were not, were not weak and his strength was not dimmed. In other words, even at the age of 120, Moses didn't need glasses and he didn't need a walking stick. And whilst I've got no doubt that these are faithful and accurate records um, and that they can actually help us face old age and death with dignity, we have to say, I think that this is not actually most people's experience. And the teacher wants us to have the balance clear in our minds. In other words, he wants us to be realistic. Uh, the advertisers today might try to persuade us that old age is all about endless carefree days in the retirement village, uh, perhaps playing effortless golf in the morning, and enjoying having the grandchildren to stay for energetic long weekends. Uh, but the reality, I think, is that many people would agree with the teacher that the days of old age are actually days of trouble, and they find no pleasure in them. Now, why do they say that? Well, look at verse 2, because in verse 2 you'll see that the teacher compares the onset of old age to the chill of approaching winter. Uh, it's a stage of life when, for most people, the, the unrealized dreams of youth are now sheer impossibilities. So look at the text with me and, and follow the, uh, the metaphors through. The stars growing dark... Well, that is a poetic way of talking about the increasing number of funerals of friends, which are not just painful separations, but are also signposts, pointing us forward to what lies ahead for everybody. Remember here that he's describing the experience of the people who live their lives, as it were, under the sun. Do you remember that phrase from last week? That is, these are people who know about God, but they've refused his wisdom. And he's saying that for people like that, old age is actually a time often of bitterness and disillusion. Because when they become physically frail, all their unfulfilled dreams just melt away one by one. And uh, without a relationship with God... They've got nothing left to hope for. So in the poem, uh, the image of old age is a house that is falling apart and eventually turns to dust. And uh, to get us think, uh, to think about this carefully, there's, there's more than a hint of humour in this. So it is okay to laugh. Verse 3, the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. He's saying there that the servants of the house are now too old to do anything 
useful. He might possibly be talking about our arms and legs there. Some commentators think that he is. Whether that's the right idea or not, the idea is please don't ask them to carry the best china because they're trembling so much that they're quite likely to drop it. Old age is also a time when, verse 3, the grinders cease. And he's talking there about your teeth. Uh, It won't be long before they all fall out. And you'll have to rely on dentures instead. Then at the end of verse 3, those looking through the windows grow dim. The windows there are your eyes. Uh, So your eyesight is going to deteriorate. I mean, you young adults might have 20-20 vision this morning, but within a few short years, you're going to be going to the opticians for the strongest prescription glasses on the market. And what about sleep? Well, in those years when you no longer have to set the alarm for five o'clock in the morning to rush off to work, will you be actually, actually be able to sleep in? Apparently not, verse 4, because the men rise up at the sound of the birds. So there you are in retirement, hoping for a lie-in, and uh, he's saying you're going to wake up as early as the birds every morning, just wishing that you could sleep in longer. And you can't actually lie awake listening to the beautiful song of the dawn chorus because it says all their songs grow faint. In other words, your hearing is fading. You need a hearing aid. If you have any hair left by then, verse 5, it will gradually turn white like the blossom of the almond tree. And although today you might perhaps be able to jog up and down Table Mountain like a springbok, there's going to come a time when the best you can do will be to drag yourself along rather like a grasshopper. And when that time comes, sexual desire will be a vague and very distant memory. In fact, interestingly, the original of that phrase Uh, the grasshopper drags himself along, is that the caperberry fails. And uh, if you look this up, you'll find that the caperberry in ancient Israel was was an aphrodisiac. It was an ancient form of Viagra. Well, desire is no longer stirred, and you may as well throw it away. So death, when it comes, will be a merciful release. But the problem is, you see, that if you have shut God out of your life, well then the very best that we can say about death in verse 7 is that our bodies dissolve into dust and the breath of life, the spirit that made us alive, returns to the God who gave it. And that, you see, is why the teacher says, remember your creator. And to remember doesn't simply mean to think about him. No, it means more than that. It means to give him the fullest possible attention now. It means to let God be God in your life. Because if you keep putting it off, in the end, poor health and lost dreams are going to take over. And you'll never get around to doing it.
So I found uh, Derek Kidner's comment on these verses extremely helpful. Let me read it to you. He says this. He says, this is a scene somber enough to bring home to us not only the fading of physical and mental powers, but the more general desolations of old age. There are many lights that are then liable to be withdrawn besides those of the senses and the faculties, as one by one, old friends are taken, familiar customs change, and long-held hopes now have to be abandoned. All this will come at a stage when there's no longer the resilience of youth or the prospect of recovery to offset it. In one's early years, and for the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually, and it's hard to adjust to the closing of that long chapter, to know that now, in the final stretch, there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and time will no longer heal but kill. So it is in youth, not old age, that these inescapable facts are best confronted when they can drive us into action, being a total response to God, and not in despair and vain regret. See, what he's saying is that Old age can be a very different experience for you, actually a very positive experience, if you will only remember your creator now. So that's the first thing this morning. But then the second response that the teacher is calling for here is listen to your shepherd. Listen to your shepherd, verses 9 to 12. Somebody's made the comment that um, life is like a school, except that you don't know what the lessons are until you fail the exam. Uh, you'd be surprised how many Christians feel that way about the Christian life. And because they do, it's hardly surprising that they've got very little assurance to sustain them through all the challenges of life, particularly old age. But the message of scripture is that God hasn't left us in the dark. He's spoken to us through his word. And in it, he's told us everything that we need to know about him, about ourselves, and how to live. Our problem is that we are such bad listeners. So I was very struck uh, by the claims that are made about the teacher's book in this little paragraph, verses 9 to 12. There's so much here, we can't look at all of it. I just want to draw your attention to verse 11. Because I think verse 11 is a brilliant illustration of how Scripture works and especially how we are to listen to it. And it's teaching us three vital lessons. First, it's saying that scripture is a spur that directs our behavior. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like 
goads. Now, if you were here last Sunday morning, you'll remember that we saw that a goad is a stick that a farmer uses to prod his farm animals so they go in the right direction. Um, I know nothing about farm animals except that they are easily distracted from going the way that you want them to. So when the farmer brings them in from the field, he has to prod them with his goad to keep them going in the right direction. Now, I find that a really helpful illustration because it means that we can tell whether we are really listening to Scripture by whether Scripture is prodding you and me to change our behaviour or not. You see, if we find that the old sinful patterns don't have quite the same grip on us that they used to, if we find that instead of kind of rushing through our regular personal Bible reading in order to watch television or go and have coffee with a friend, we actually want to spend more time reading God's word and in prayer just because we want to be with the Lord, that is a sign. That is a sign that we are listening properly to Scripture. Second, Verse 11 is saying that the scriptures are designed to stick in the memory. They're like firmly embedded nails, he says. Now, I don't think that the Bible is an especially easy book to understand, and uh, Ecclesiastes is certainly one of the more difficult books in the Old Testament. But the point is that if we will only give some mental effort to understanding the big ideas. So, for example, this morning, the importance of turning to God before the days of trouble come. Well then, like firmly embedded nails, these big ideas will actually be extremely hard to dislodge. We'll find they're a real source of stability and comfort and that they'll sustain us through many of the problems and difficulties that are all part of life in a fallen world. And then the third thing that verse 11 is saying is that Scripture can do both of these things because it is inspired by God. Uh, So whether we're reading Ecclesiastes or any other book in the Bible, what we have in our hands are words given by one shepherd. And what I want us to take away from this this morning is that in facing the hard things of life, our assurance is grounded in the character of the shepherd who's spoken and who promises the utmost care for all his people, Uh, including um, uh, as we face the problems that we've been thinking about in this chapter. He'll be with us. He'll give us his utmost care. And I think in order to underline this, as we're thinking about how do, we, how do we walk with God, how do we know God is with us as we face old age and death, let's just look at, at one cross-reference. Keep a finger in Ecclesiastes 12. Turn on a couple of pages to Isaiah chapter 46. Can I really believe that the God who has spoken and given us his great and precious promises, including care 
for us in old age and facing death. Can I really trust that promise? Isaiah 46, verse 3, God says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Now look at this, verse 4. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. And the point is, you see, that the the God who formed Israel and who, who has always graciously carried them, even when they rebelled against him, he promises to sustain them through old age and to rescue them ultimately from death. And all that this God asks in return is that they will listen to him. We'll come back to Ecclesiastes because the teacher's got a third response that he is calling for from us in verses 13 and 14, which is that we should fear your judge. Fear your judge. So so we've seen in the book that the, the teacher has kind of stripped away all the false illusions we might have about the meaning of life. They've all been carefully examined. They've all been shown to be meaningless. And, you know, it's not always especially easy to hear that, is it? Especially if you're a bit older and have perhaps only recently begun to take the Bible seriously. But now, in these closing verses, the teacher shows us why he's taken such a strong line with us. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, I know that on the surface that sounds rather negative. Uh, In that little phrase, fear God, when I hear that, the gospel almost seems to be missing, doesn't it? But you see, if we put those verses in the context of the chapter as a whole, I think what we find is that the teacher's saying something wonderfully positive. Because, you see, if we put the whole message together, what he's saying is that there is a reality that is infinitely greater than old age and death. What is it? Well, he says, there is God, the creator, who made us in his image for relationship with himself. He gave us life, and when we die, our spirit returns to him. So our whole lives are quite literally in his hands. And if we are wise, we'll remember him now. And it's better than that, because this same God is also God our shepherd, 
who's given us his faithful and true and reliable word. And his word is wisdom to live by, friends, in all the changing circumstances of life. And that same God, creator, shepherd, is also God our judge, who places such tremendous significance upon your life and mine that he will call us to account for what we've done with the precious gift of life that he's given to us. So, have we kept his commandments? This side of the cross, that means, what does that mean? It means, have we believed in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what it means. And when we put these three things together, I think it's immediately obvious that God is actually far more bothered than most of us are that our lives should have real meaning and lasting significance. And the message of this book is that we will only find meaning in our lives by serving this great God. And if we do that, if we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives now, well, when the days of trouble come, he'll be there to sustain us. And his word will be a great source of comfort and strength. And instead of the awful regret of a life wasted, uh, of years lived away from God, pursuing worthless things, well, there'll be the memory of a life lived to the glory of God and the sure and certain hope of joy in the life of the world to come. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the important realities you've shown us this morning. Our lives here are indeed short. Our sinful hearts are wayward. And we so easily chase after foolish things that can never satisfy. But you've reminded us that our lives matter to you. And for that reason, a day is coming when you will call each one of us to account. And above all, you will want to know what we have done with your son. Have we asked him to remove our sin, to be our Lord, to make us new, and to use us for your glory? If we have not, then please help us to respond to him today before the days of trouble come. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.